Welcome to Mantras. A few months ago, we did a survey looking for input from people who gave us about 50 statements that they often hear said in church and in the marketplace, on the job and at school. Statements or mantras that people say as excuses or as reasons to defend their lifestyle or pithy sayings from which they draw meaning or faith or hope or encouragement. And from that, we developed a survey, and out of that survey, we came up with the top 12 sayings. And we've been doing a countdown. Today, we're doing mantra number four, only God can judge me. You ever heard that said? Here's a reporter who has a statement used on her while questioning a well-known athlete about abuse. Well, okay, but you are someone with a history of domestic violence yourself. You've even been to jail for it. Why should fans root for you with this kind of history? Um, everything has been allegations. Uh, nothing has been proven, so, you know, that's life. Well, I mean, the incident you went to jail for, the mother of your three children did show some bruising, a concussion when she went to the hospital. It was your own kids who called the police, gave them a detailed description of the abuse. There's been documentation. hmm um, once again, um, no pictures, just hearsay and allegations. And I signed a plea bargain. So, once again, not true. But the website that's been recently detailed seven separate physical assaults on five different women that resulted in arrest or citation. I mean, are we really supposed to believe all these women are lying, including the incidents when there were witnesses, like your own kids? Well, everybody actually, um, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. You know, when it's all said and said and done, only God can judge me. 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 Only God can judge This popular saying is a title to a song written by Tupac, where he, in explaining the pain in his life, winds up with this saying to encourage himself. I think Justin Bieber has said it. You can see it all over the Internet. Only God can judge me. And this is probably something, the subject of our text that we're going to read today, this person might want to have said, but Paul wouldn't let it stand if he tried it. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes to this church that he was part of planting in Corinth of Greece. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. If there were tabloids in those days, the headlines would have read something like, Christian man shacks up. Well, that wouldn't be very sensational in today's world. But they would say, Christian man shacks up with his stepmama. Or baby mama shacks up with her stepson. And so this was what was happening to the point even unbelievers were horrified at the sin. And then he confronts the church for being arrogant. You were puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. This was not just a mistake. This was not a one-night stand. This was not he drank too much and slipped up and oops, went too far in showing his affection to his father's wife. He was living in sin. 
and not repenting. Verse 4, Paul writes, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, in other words, I'm in agreement with you guys doing this, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is in agreement with you doing this, but you have to do it. Verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now notice in verse 2, he told them that this person should be taken away from among you. And then here in verse 5, he says, gather together in the name of Jesus and deliver him to Satan so that his spirit can be saved but his flesh can be destroyed. That's pretty serious judgment, isn't it? When sin is allowed to exist in a church where saints are sinning as a lifestyle and nobody is confronting them, it can affect the church where it spreads. There are some churches that are hotbeds of fornication because they're not dealing with it. Verse 6, he says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven or a little yeast or a little mold or a little fungus funguses or leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. Now, in the scriptures, leaven or yeast, which is a fungus, is a picture of sin. What sin does is it permeates, it spreads, it affects it causes pleasure, feels good for a season. Bread without yeast isn't as nice as bread with yeast. But left to itself, that bread will become a rotting mess. Who knows that's true? For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven or with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In the Old Testament is the feast that's still practiced in the Jewish world today and in the church, the Feast of Passover, where Jews celebrate the passing over of God's judgment in the land of Egypt, resulting in their being freed from slavery. And in that festival, it's preceded by days of house cleaning, where they thoroughly clean their homes, get out all the cobwebs, all the mold, all the leaven, all the yeast, all the fungi and fungus out and then for the Feast of Passover, they ate unleavened bread because the night they were delivered, they did not have time to allow the bread to rise. So while it's not pleasant bread, it's pure bread, and it's a reminder of the carbs they ate the night they were delivered. I wrote to you, verse 9, in my epistle or in my letter, not to keep company, not to hang out with sexually immoral people. Verse 10, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. I mean, the world's full of sinners. We're not to leave the world. Some people have tried that, and it just creates more sin in their life. We're in the world, but we're not of it, right? But in the church, there has to be a difference. Verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. What is a reviler? A reviler is someone that speaks evil of others, someone that's cutting people down, a gossip. We're not to hang out with those kind of people. 
Now, does that mean we shun them? I don't think so. I just think we back off and make room for Jesus in the situation and not bless the person who refuses to repent of their sin with Christian fellowship. Now, people come to Christ as they are in their sin like they are, and God cleans them up. That is a different case where you're allowing the Lord to help people sort through the mess of their life to come fully into the kingdom. You don't clean fish before you catch them. Amen? And the Lord does that. But someone who's a leader in the church, someone who's a member of the church in full standing, deciding to live a life of sin, homeboy's got to go. Susie Q's got to get to stepping. Because Christian fellowship is a blessing. And we want that person to repent, right? So if we withdraw Christian fellowship from that person, then there's an opportunity for that person to realize, hey, something's not right. I'm missing my Christian brothers and sisters. This sin isn't bringing me the pleasure it once did. I need to repent. Verse 12. What have I to do with judging those who are outside? We don't judge people that are unbelievers. Do you not judge those who are inside? Now, this isn't judging to the point of condemning, but this is making a judgment call within the context of a church community. If someone's living in sin, you can't be fellowshipping with them. Why? Because they could influence you, as well as you could be empowering their rebellion and encouraging them to continue to live in sin. Verse 13, but those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So he had to get to stepping. He had to go. What happened? The next letter that we have, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is on the card in your bulletin if you don't have your Bible with you. Verse 6, Paul writes, This punishment which is inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. So this whole effort is restoration. Can we say restoration? It's not condemnation. It's restoration. And sometimes to restore something, sometimes there has to be something painful. If you get a wound and it's infected, something painful has to happen to that wound, right? For it to get better. And so this brother was homesick for Jesus, homesick for the body of Christ. And lest he becomes too discouraged, Paul said, hey, bring him back home. You know, he had, he had been so strong in his earlier letter, he had to bring some balance to the situation. Now, have we ever had to do this here? No, because when people sin and don't repent, and you lovingly confront them in America, they get angry and stomp off and you never see them again. They kind of make it easy. Pride makes them go. And maybe the pastor in his wisdom knows just how to make people mad. I don't know, but anyway, it makes it real easy when they stomp off. All right. Only God can judge me. Tell somebody that with some attitude. Only God can judge me. Now let's think about that statement. It may sometimes silence somebody approaching you. But it's not always true because people will often judge us. Whether right or wrong, they will. I mean, did Jesus not say, judge not, lest you be judged, right? 
And in Luke, he says, condemn not lest you be condemned. So the kind of judging he was talking about was condemning people. All right, not confronting people, but condemning folks. Don't do that, otherwise it'll come back on you. Inappropriate judging will come back on you, and you'll get, you'll get it in your face. So if Jesus said not to judge, that means people can judge. Even if it's inappropriate, they'll do it, right? So only God can judge me. doesn't keep people from judging you. That well-known athlete in the newscast we heard got judged by everybody. Watch it. And so him saying only God can judge me didn't stop folks from doing what they're doing. So really it's a dumb statement, right? Only God can judge me. Ultimately, for eternity, in context of our life in the future, he's the only judge. But in this triple world, people will judge, they'll sin, they'll condemn, they'll, re- they'll do all kinds of horrible things against others, whether or not they have a right to do so. Now, who has a right to judge? Well, judges have rights to judge, to make judgments and settling disputes. Police have a right to judge in arresting evildoers, right? Both appropriately and inappropriately. Even people that have authority to judge can be inappropriate in their judging. I mean, people have been freed from the pen that were innocent. Some judge did something inappropriate and wrong. Appropriate judging, we're going to look at that. Inappropriate judging, we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at God's judging. That's it. Three sermons in a nutshell. Appropriate judging involves true authority with accurate justice and true mercy. Justice without mercy is deadly. And mercy without justice is deadly. Oh, honey, you can play out in the street if you want to. You can do whatever you want. You're going to have a dead child on your hands. Romans 13, powerful chapter. You need to read it. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Now, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome that was under the dominion of the Roman Empire. These people were not always just, but there was order in the land, and God used that order to spread the gospel. Even though there was cruelty and all kinds of things that were wrong, there was something right in having order. Let every soul, every soul, can we say everybody, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. There may be some people posing as authority, but eventually it's going to come out in the wash and they're going to be history. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. If it's long-lasting authority, God's behind it. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. This is talking about law enforcement. Now, is everybody in law enforcement perfect? No. But I tell you what, they're worthy of our respect, even those that are evil, because they can make your life a living hell. I had a dream once where I was arrested for something I did wrong. I was cuffed and placed in a squad car. And as I'm bending over getting in the squad car, somebody dropped something in my pocket. 
and I'm sitting in the squad car, unable to get out what was in my pocket that I knew then was going to be used as evidence against me. And I woke up, and I instantly knew the meaning. There was a young person I was ministering to, and that was a parable I was going to tell him, that in the dream, if I had behaved properly and not lived close to the edge of my needing to be confronted by the police, I would not be vulnerable to a corrupt police. So I can be in the jailhouse all day long claiming I'm innocent and still suffer consequences, whereas if I could distance myself, I would be safe. The Grand Canyon every year has people fall off it. And in some cases, it's people posing for pictures. They want to see how close to the edge they can get. And boom. Gravity, which is a constant, takes them to their destruction. So may the Lord help us to live a life of respect when it comes to people in authority. They're kind of like, the law enforcements in our, in our land are like honeybees. Who, who likes honey? Oh, man, I could go for a piece of oat bran bread right now with peanut butter and honey on it. A little bit of heaven. Anybody, anybody hungry yet? It's wonderful. But you cannot enjoy the sweetness of honey without honeybees work. And you don't get honeybees without the ability to sting and whether right or wrong, you mess with them, you're going to get bit. You get bit enough times, you could actually die. They could be deadly, especially if you're allergic. Law enforcement is like that. To enjoy the honey of justice and peace in the land, stay away from the honeybees. The police are like honeybees. Just stay away from them. Don't hang out with them. Just don't mess with them. Just give them respect. Because they're worthy of respect, but also those that are unworthy of respect could make your life a living hell. And is it worth it? If that's your cause in life, to live a hard life, then go for it. All right, that's enough. That was for the teenagers. <laughs> Inappropriate judging involves false and or unjust authority. Even the police have something to fear. The Department of Internal Affairs. The FBI, the Department of Justice. Inappropriate judging involves false and or unjust authority with misperceptions and prejudices. Misperceptions is seeing things wrong and making wrong decisions, jumping to conclusions. I raise my kids like this on my knees asking for their forgiveness for jumping to conclusions. I found out later a lot of those times I was right, though. Prejudices is to prejudge somebody based on some belief that you've held on to. First Samuel, chapter 16, the Lord sends the prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his son's kings. And the Lord didn't want the good-looking one, the oldest one, the strongest one. He wanted the youngest one, the one seemed to be unlikely. And to explain his approach to life, the Lord said this to Samuel. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Who knows that's true? Jesus told us, do not judge according to appearance, John 7, 24, but judge with righteous judgment. 
But, you know, people don't always do this. I mean, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, which is why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearances of evil. Why? Because people will judge you. So they're not supposed to judge. They're not supposed to condemn. But don't give them ammo. Don't tempt them. And by all means, sometimes the appearance of evil actually is you're living a little close to evil. You may actually fall into evil. All right. Only God can judge me. Can we say that again with attitude? I mean with some attitude. This popular little, little phrase will ultimately be true with eternal consequences for us all on Judgment Day. Romans chapter 2 says, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Now, to really appreciate this, you've got to go back to Romans 1. I won't do it this morning. But read verse 18 to the end of the chapter, to the next chapter, to verse 4. Romans 18 to the end of the chapter, verse 32, talks about God in his wrath allowing people to go their own way to the point of turning them over to wickedness, turning them over to a reprobate mind, turning them over to sin. What is he doing? How is this an act of wrath, letting people do what they want? It's like a frustrated parent the best I can, the simple I can do without coming close to heresy. Let's say you have, you lived in a two-story house with a banister, and you had a problem with your son wanting to slide down that banister, and you kept catching him trying and kept correcting him, and he wouldn't do it. Finally, one day, you just step back and let him go, splat, to learn his lesson. God, in his wrath, will deal with us that way at times. In fact, that's actually, I think, the first level of his wrath. To demonstrate his goodness to us, to give us room to repent, he steps back. So just because you're sinning and getting by with it doesn't mean God say, hey, way to go. No, it's not. He's wanting you to hit rock bottom to come to the end of your senses. But what we're going to get into here this morning is there's another level to God's wrath that If that doesn't work, you move into another realm. So here we go. Romans 2, verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, that is, refusing to repent, you're treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Of God. Can we say judgment day? Verse 6 Who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, but to those who are self seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, what? Here it is indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. On every soul of man who does evil. 
When you sin as a lifestyle, that is not good. That is not good. One day you will stand before God on Judgment Day for a life of rebellion. 2 Corinthians 5 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. One day, as believers, we're going to answer to Jesus. You may be in the number at the great wine throne judgment, or you may not be, but as a believer, you're all going to stand before Jesus. And he is not going to say, attaboy. In fact, in Matthew 25, he says, a day is coming when God's going to divide the sheep from the goats, and the goats he's not going to bless. They're out of there for the life they live. I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me to drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in jail, you didn't visit me. I was sick, and you didn't visit me. Depart from me. And as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Yeah, that's your sweet Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world predicted that would happen. Knowing, therefore, verse 11, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This is serious business. What is the beginning of wisdom? The Bible says it in several places. The fear of the Lord. That is the respect of God and His Lordship. The right for Him to tell us how to live is the beginning of wisdom. This is Godly Living 101. It all begins with the love of God demonstrated on the cross to redeem us from our sins. So that we can, can, so that we could continue and live a life of rebellion? No. So that we could walk in fellowship with Him and He would help us overcome stuff that comes our way. He's able to deliver us from things that tempt us. Second Peter 2 verse 9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness, and despise authority. One day we'll stand before the Lord. Beware of the fire insurance gospel, and beware of the no insurance gospel. The gospel is, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. Are you living as an unbeliever? Or are you living as a believer? It all starts with believing in Jesus. Because one day, judgment day is coming. Can we say that together? A day of judgment is coming. Are we ready? A day of judgment is coming. Are you ready? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask you to speak to our hearts to change our lives to be more like you. I thank you, Lord, we do not have to earn our salvation. We do not have to do things to gain your favor. But, Lord, you do call us to repent. That is, to turn from living in sin to following you. Help us, Lord, to be inspired to follow you. In Jesus' name. There's a theologian 
he's very knowledgeable. He's not all that conservative. But he does believe in the gospel. And on the subject of God's wrath, some people do not like the subject of God's wrath. God is love and my God this and my God that. My God's not a God of wrath. Well, you want to make sure your God is God and not some idol that somebody has built for you. On the subject of God's wrath, he said the teaching of God's wrath is rooted in the teaching of God as good, wise, and loving. But this wise, loving, and good God hates, yes, he hates anything that spoils, defaces, distorts, or damages his beautiful creation. And in particular, anything that does that to his image-bearing creatures. We've been created in his image. He loves us. And anything that damages us, he hates it. If God does not hate racial prejudice, he is not good and he is not loving. If God is not wrathful about child abuse, he is neither good nor loving. If God is not utterly determined to root out from His creation in an act of proper wrath and divine judgment, the arrogance that allows people to exploit, bomb, bully, and enslave one another, He is neither loving, nor good, nor wise. There is a judgment day because God is a God of love. And He does not want His good people to be surrounded by wickedness for eternity. So a day of judgment is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. And today is a day of salvation. Today is a day that we judge ourselves. And if you've been living a life of sin and getting by with it, maybe you've been living under God's wrath where God is allowing you to go your own way. But mark my words, sin costs you more than you planned on paying and will keep you longer than you planned on staying and take you further than you planned on going. It does that. And then you wake up one day, right where God wants you, Lord, I see my sin. Forgive me. Get me back on that straight and narrow path of following you again. pray again Lord the theme of this service is about trusting you and I, I pray Lord for that person or persons who've not been living in light of the truth of judgment day I pray Lord today would be a wake up call to all of us to realize that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shine and a God to please you and a will to fulfill that you've given to each of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness.
Some people live a lifestyle of sin because they're in bondage. They can't stop. Their impulses are driving them. And in the face of that is this promise. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if you have tried to confess and confess and confess and promise and promise and you've still not been getting cleansed, the truth is you're actually not confessing the real issue. All fruit has a root. All harvest have a seed. The thing you may be repenting of may be a transgression. But the Lord wants to deal with the iniquity that causes that transgression. He was wounded outwardly for our transgressions and bruised inwardly for our iniquities. So maybe your transgression is anger to the point of saying things that hurt and wound people. What could be the iniquity behind that? That's the thing to repent of. Maybe it is fear. Maybe it is a lack of trusting God. I tell you what, when we don't trust God, that causes all sorts of chaos in our world. Maybe you're in in an inappropriate relationship. You You keep going back to that. Why? You repent of it and you keep going back to her or keep going back to him. What's the deal? You know it's not good for you. You know it's not right. What could be it? Maybe it's fear. Afraid of being alone or afraid of this or afraid of that. I don't know what the issues are that cause us to do the things we do, but the Lord knows. And I want to challenge you today, each of us, including myself, to pursue the Lord afresh, trusting Him wholeheartedly to help us overcome the bondages that may be in our life to get to the bottom of why we're doing what we're doing. There's a thing called deliverance, ministry, where we help people overcome. Because in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen? And Peter wrote in another place, judgment begins at the house of God. So in the church, the redeemed community of people, there is help coming out of Zion. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing this little chorus to the Lord. Our life is to be a life of worship. worship you I live to worship you I live to worship you I live I live to worship But don't rush off if you don't have to. Find a place to pray. Seek the Lord. Amen? May the Lord bless you and keep you. May He cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the glorious name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, go and pursue His will with all your heart. Like tigers, pursue their prey. Amen. God bless you.